Hey guys, and welcome to episode 11 of the Judo Talk podcast. Judo Talk, Talk, 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 Judo Talk, Talk. Welcome. So, uh, yeah, I guess episode 11. How's, how's your week been? <laughs> You've been busy? Judo club picking up, I hope. Um, trainers picking up. Uh, had some good response from last week's episode with Gary Edwards. Um, so if you've not listened to that one, make sure you do go check it out. Thanks again to Gary for that. Um, so whilst getting this episode ready for you guys, I've noticed that I do this really annoying little laugh at the beginning. So I'll, I'll introduce the guest and then ask him to say hello or whatever. And then for some reason I laugh. And I think it's the only way I can sort of get into the podcast. Uh, so yeah, so you'll most probably start picking that up and that'll most probably annoy you as well now. Um, but this week I'm talking to Louise Renix. And Louise is former Commonwealth Games champion, um, British international. And it was just, yeah, a nice talk. Um, the audio quality in this, um, so you guys know, this is just something I do as a, you know... Uh, well I guess a little hobby you would say um, the idea is just to talk about judo um, so that there's no studio there's nothing like that it's just me and microphone and the guests will jump on zoom with me um, so there's a bit of ruffling there's a bit of um, it, it's not anyway a bad recording um, it's just not crystal clear so I hope you know I hope you guys still gain from it Louise's really really good to talk to and for all those international uh podcast listeners uh louise is scottish so some of the words might be difficult to understand but uh <laughs> sorry louise if you listen to this uh yeah but no you should you should get into it uh i hope you enjoy the episode and i'll speak to you guys on the other side hey guys welcome to the latest episode of judo talk and this week uh, i'm talking to louise renix hello louise Oh, yeah. Hope you're good. Yeah, yeah, all good. Right, now I've got to thank you. Um, so the people listening can't see you, all right, and I'm sure you're grateful of that. But you are, two, well, you've got two and a half weeks to go before you give birth, don't you? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> so, forward to it as I'm sitting here like a beach balloon right now. <laughs> so so I, I literally messaged you yesterday, didn't I, to try and get this organised, and you were really good. You were like, oh, I'll do it sooner rather than later. Well, yeah. Yeah, I would uh, rather get this talk over with than them um, be sitting here giving birth. <laughs> <laughs> get it over with. Right. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. I mean that in a good way. Yeah. So I think I'd like, well, I'd like to start just sort of finding out, obviously you had a great competition career and stuff, but I, I'd just like to find out where you are now with things, what you're up to, what's going on. So I'm self-employed as a, like a sports coach, um, speaker, and also work in conjunction with like other um, clubs where I'll maybe go and take like squad sessions for them or help them with like development plans and improving their their club. And then the other part of my job is I work as an active school coordinator part-time, um, three days a week with Perth and Kinross. So um, I'm, I kind of like work two jobs, I, I see it. And then I also work with my sister as her personal coach on like the elite side of things, so keeping me involved in the international. But I like to kind of refer to myself as a lady with many hats. I've got like a <laughs> recreational hat on, to a lady, to development hat on, to just 
just constantly multitasking, which I, I quite like doing as a person. How do you how do you find that working with Kim? Because I I know I couldn't work with my sisters with anything. Like, how do you find that? I think um, you you know her. I know her very very well, and I think what's probably been challenging is that we've always been honest and open with each other. And I think like with Kimberly, what's happened is um, she chose to go to Camberley for a few years to to train and it was interesting is developing me as a coach of what I thought of her and what Luke thought of her and it was sometimes where things that you thought that you really did know that um, maybe Luke would point out some other things and then when I actually questioned Kimberly on it I would be oh you're actually trying to take advantage of your sister's side there rather than like the coaching side so I think it has its pros and I think it has its cons but I genuinely believe it's like anything in um, life is that you've just both got to respect each other and have that honesty. And if that's there, then you'll achieve to what you can achieve. And if the other, if one person's not fully in or not fully being honest, then I don't think it, the, the, the coaching and the player will, will work to the best that it can work to. So I just, um, what I do find is that probably the higher up events where you know that like the points you're chasing the points you're chasing the selection when I'm going away to those competitions with Kimberly for some reason if I was to walk out with another player um I wouldn't feel as nervous but for some reason with Kimberly I, I do get a little bit more nervous than what I do with any other player that I've that I've worked with and it's just because you just you just want her to be able to do the best that she possibly can and when she doesn't and you see that she wants to be upset, that's sometimes where I feel I get that bit of emotional attachment with, um, I want to be upset with her, but with another player, I wouldn't have that same emotion. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, what happened there? Kind of went that... delayed there. Um, how did you find the transition coming from a player to a coach? Because obviously working with your sister, did you naturally move into coaching your sister or were you coaching anywhere else first? Or The club that I originally came from was a community club and it, it had five-year-olds right up to 65-year-olds on the mat and they run three sessions, under eights, over eights in a senior class and it was a Friday night. You were there from six o'clock to half past nine. But there was always a rule that because my dad was there from six o'clock me my brother and my sister were always there so Kimberly was on with the youngest and the oldest um the the junior section were on at the same time because the mat was huge so they put the two classes on and what is what would happen is my dad would have us volunteering we would be down with the five-year-olds the eight-year-olds and we were teaching the new staffs forward roles with with the coach the head coach of that group so I just I, I knew I knew from when I went up to high school it was either I wanted to be a physiotherapist, a PE teacher, or I wanted to go into coaching. And what happened when it came to picking my subjects of, of high school, I picked subjects that um, got me into university, either study things along science, coaching and development. So I've always had that interest. And I'm from a family where it's just been like, I don't mean drilled into me in a bad way, but it's like, it's just like, you've got to give back to the other people. 
you've got to give back to the the the, the, the people that, that need a little bit more help and give back to your community so I've always just found that sport does that and I, I feel like I came for a good um, coaching system from my original club and then the higher the level I climbed up then you were just bringing back showing them oh this is what we learned here and this is what works for me in competition this is what what doesn't work and then I just became more and more passionate about wanting to be an assistant coach wanting to actually take a session on my own and then it's like okay what's the next things that you do you, you get to schools you do the promoting you you do the free work you do the paid work and then you've got to find a balance you've got to find a balance where like at one point in my life I was doing like 50 hours of free work and 10 hours of paid work and actually well that doesn't pay your bills and it doesn't it doesn't all that does is make you get more stressed in life because I've got the qualifications I've got the degree I'm constantly trying to develop myself as a coach and I try to do that both ways I try to do it through academic and I try to do it by um, looking at what who's out there on the circuit just now whose club can I go to who can I, I learn from because I think it doesn't matter to what level of coach you are there's always somebody that um, you can always learn something from them even if it's how they speak how they condone themselves how they teach you just you just learn and I think when I was young you used to think the old coaches need to go they need to go now their time's up they need to get out there but actually they've got so much experience and wealth under them that you're going to get somebody at one point in your club that you could find difficult to deal with or a parent difficult to deal with See the old coaches, they can give you a wee bit of advice or two that will just help you and develop you as a person. So um, it's always that I think you're young, you think you know better and you you know more. But actually, next thing you know, you're nearly 40 and you're like, you're in between. You want to be young again, but you also want to want that um, old wisdom um, advice that the older ones can give you. That's kind of how I look at it and how I see myself. Yeah, and that's how... I think that's really progressive actually as well like wanting to learn from other coaches because I know I was fortunate I had a good group of coaches that I I could speak to and learn from and stuff and I know that in my informative years around judo it made such a massive difference do you think there's any place for that like you know you've been through all the coaching levels do you think there's any place for that on there like part of it like actually part of your continual development where are you going to learn judo from? Who are you speaking to? Does that make sense? It, no, it does. It does make sense. You confused me at the start, but the end bit there got me on the pathway. I think that you're you're saying. I got um, no. I do. I believe that. Um, I think I felt a little bit from doing my UK C three to doing my like UK C four. It was a bit repeating mode because I've got a degree in sports coaching, so I just felt it was a recap for myself. And where I felt that um, I wasn't getting the, I just felt I was back at uni doing my last year of uni, and it was just so that I can have this like title on my on my coaching um, certificate. That I just felt it was a, a year of repeating myself, but also I thought let's turn this into a positive for a mindset point of view and just look at it as a refreshers course. So that's the way I looked at it. But then what I feel is missing from all the coaching is that we've got all these like no. You've got centres that are identified that have got the elite coaches there. But outside of these centres, there's a lot of businesses that are now, that have got some really good business plans that maybe people don't talk about, people don't want to share, because sometimes people don't like sharing. It's just mm-hmm. their, 
it's just the way that they are, and, and you've just got to respect that. Um, but see, for the coaches that the clubs that want to share, I feel that we should tap into that as, as in our coaching system, and you should go down there and, and try and get experience to develop yourself and develop the because when you step on a mat and you're you're coaching your your character, the way that your brain works will will just step into place. It, 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 I, I think it does naturally. But it's all that work behind. See, when you sit down and start talking to coaches, how do you plan? How do you do this? How do you evaluate? I feel coaches are terrible at just saying, um, it's just I just do it because it comes easy and I just do it because it's... But see all of that work and evaluating, that is... Um, it's really positive stuff that you're doing. You're trying to make yourself better. You're trying to make your players better. And it's it's time consuming as well. But people just people will sometimes refer to it as it's not like I'm I'm out there and like labouring for twelve hours. I'm just but you actually coaches, some coaches don't switch off. Their head is going round and round all the time. Is that healthy? Absolutely not. You have to have some health and well being time as well to make yourself the best that you possibly can be. But I think that we need to identify people who want to be part of a system that can then say, we've got these eight coaches coming on. If they want, can they contact you? They maybe come down for a weekend to see how you work or they might come and work with you. Um, and that's what develops you. And, and I'm lucky that with Kimberley going to Camberley, that um, the Camberley Club and Luke really opened up doors for me. And eventually, like it was just over a year ago, it was the Belgium International and it was the boys and girls on the same weekend. And um, Luke went with the boys and, and I went with the girls. Now, I, it was only three girls that I had, but it was two girls weren't, weren't people that I knew, that I knew through training down and Campbelling coming down. But there were two girls that it was like going through the way in with them. It was preparing them on that day, supporting them. And then when they were fighting, it was like making sure what, what do they need from me and then after it. And, it's, and I'm lucky enough that the people were very respectful to me and they they listened to the things that, that I was saying so it was a good experience and doing that minibus journey as a coach and not as being a player anymore like all of that was all was all good but I've also developed as well with Camberley that um, you have your camps down there like from yourself where you put on stuff and I get to see that you have all these coaches and these players that come down at different times of the, the year and I think to myself, oh, yeah, this is this is things that this is engagement. This is what you need to be doing, and this is what you learn from. And although I've been down supporting Kimberley to be there with the full time coaches, just standing back and watching, and sometimes going through, and what the kids watching, the older ones training, I just think it's a it's 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 brilliant for them. And the parents coming in, the parents talking, and the coaches are quite. When you're on the mat, you're doing your job, but when you come off the mat, you're open for chats about anything. And I know a couple of times that I've asked some things. And sometimes you're nervous about doing that because you think, oh, God, they're, they're higher up coaches than me. And you put yourself down. But that's what you need to do. You need to do it. It's the only way you improve as a coach. You need to. And if you're sweating and you're nervous and you're scared to ask a question, there's it just means you feel passionate about it just go up because no question's ever silly and if a coach does turn around and tell you it's silly then I think they're just the fools that don't want to pass on their information really mm. that sense? 
Yeah, yeah, no, I think you just, that's actually, I find that quite amazing, really, listening to you then, because thinking about the coaching side of it, and you're like, so Commonwealth Games champion, you've medaled at top events all around the world, you've got a vast experience in judo, and somebody with that much experience in judo, you're still valuing the fact that, you know, like taking a group it's almost like I would take it for granted thinking you would know about taking a group to Belgium or you would know all of these things just because you've been around. And it's a complete flip on its head to think, well, you're thinking those same things, the same things that I would have thought when, you know, when I, I first started coaching. And then how much is that amplified by necessarily coaches that haven't quite got to the level you've got? How scared are they to, to ask those questions? Well, it's, it's very, even just a simple thing, going to register your players and mm. like you're in a foreign country, you're driving on the other side of the road. It's, these are all stress and, and they're, they're good stress factors because they make you better because you're learning, but you're also like, I mean, I don't know how many people went round the roundabout the wrong way and, and it's like, oh my God. And I mean, you, you, you hear the accidents that happen, but you, all the kids are laughing in the background, but your heart's going a hundred mile an hour and then you turn up and then you're like, right, are they all on way? All right, somebody's got this to lose and we've got three hours to to the weigh-in's over and, right, they can go and eat or are we going to eat as a team? And it's like your brain is just constantly mm. going over and then the next thing you know it's bedtime and then the next thing you know it's like, up, oh, right, competition day starts, people win, people lose, people are upset, people are, you can see that some people haven't performed and you're just like, they've not performed because it was nervous because it's an international event, 400 people here. They don't see this in Britain. It's just, it's, um, but as a coach, you're walking out there and then you're, you're, your player's on and you've got the foreign coaches looking at you and say, oh, now on the circuit, or they might not even be thinking that. Your, your mind plays these games on you that you think, and then it takes you a little while to, because I'm, I would, something that, um, that I've picked up and I'll say that I've had some through the national system I've had some really good coaches that I've worked with and I'm like yep I'm stealing that I'm having that that's going in my box and I've had but I've had more coaches that I absolutely I'm like no way am I going to work like that and if I work like that just honestly take my license off me because they just don't deserve it They're, they're terrible but at the end of the day these people keep getting success and and people don't see behind the scenes stuff. But I want to just constantly improve and be the best that I, that I, that I can. And I'm going to make mistakes, and, and I know that. But I definitely know that each coach that I'm around, I take things from them that I really like, and I take things that I really, I really don't like. But I always say to myself, you can always never say, I'm never going to go down that pathway, because you're going to get somebody that just does not do what you want them to do, and they're they're awkward they're they're putting obstacles in your way and you need to make a decision is that because that person doesn't respect me or is it because that person it's just like it's just the way they function and I think sometimes that's the hardest bit to learn because you can't learn that in a week you can't learn that in two weeks you've got to go through probably quite a period of time of evidence building how that person really is and on top of that you've got to also put up with everybody's views and opinions of that of that person and I'm quite an open-minded person so I, and I like to look at things from different angles 
and that's just um I just find that you've got to find somebody to feel comfortable in. and while I'm making that transition um I've not felt comfortable enough to do that in Scotland but I felt comfortable enough to contact Luke and do that with Camberley and there's there's the the there's and I've also been very lucky that I've only had one player that's properly at the elite side of things that um I get to I don't need to think about all the stuff that like Luke needs to think of so I can go there and really just like ask a lot of things and watch a lot of things and then take it's a slow progress for me because I'm having a baby I've started my family and then I want to by the time I'm in my 40s I want to be looking to be working more in the international um system and, and who that is with is it with a foreign country it might be it might be with Scotland it might be with Ireland it might be with Wales it might be with England I don't know where that's going to be, but I do know that it's something that I'm I'm striving towards. But I'm not I'm not going to rush the journey. I want to take my time, and I want to be able to have be a multi a multi skilled coach that I can work with. Um, identifying technical abilities. I want to work with the science side of things. I want to work with the clubs. I want to work with the coaches, and most of all, I want to devise programs that that make people make people overall better and want to engage with and want to work with and I just think the only way you can do that is to be constantly learning and accept that you're going to make mistakes. Yeah I think making mistakes is a big part of it isn't it and how do you so obviously you've you've now been in a situation where you've asked the questions you you've put yourself out there and you you've gone outside of your comfort zone there's going to be coaches and even judo players I think where they're thinking well how do you decide what you should listen to and what you shouldn't listen to? How do you go through that process? Initially, you're somebody. I'm somebody that has to have that 24 hours going to sleep on it anyway. And unless you you really have to react there and there on the, on the spot, then you'll I'll, I'll do it. But I'm somebody that then I would sit and if me and you were having a conversation. And then even if you say something, I would then probably what would come into you is if you say something, I've had a bad experience with that, that's probably going to come to my head right away. And then I'm going to say, oh, but Vince, what happens if and this could happen? What would you do then? Because I'm sharing with you something bad that I've experienced and what you've said. I would then listen to what you've had to say and I would probably be quite, I would be, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of where I stand here right now. I need to go away and think of the pros and cons a little bit more, listen to what you've said, and then I would probably come back to you and message you, or I would say to you, um, actually, I quite I like the way you've put you've twisted that around for the way that I was thinking, and I'm and I'm going to I'm going to consider that the next time I'm in that situation. So I kind of I like to have a lot of open chat. I like a lot of scenario discussion happening. But I don't like that chat when it when it turns around and that somebody tells you you're wrong. No, you can't. No, you can't do that. I don't because that then just makes me think. No, you're not being open minded, and that might be your experience, and that's fine. But this is my experience, and we've both in the same sport. We've both um, had two different experiences. So it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's actually just about oh, all right, you've, you've had that angle. I have not experienced that. That's nice to hear that or not nice to hear that. And it's the it's the same way. But sometimes when you go away and sleep on it, you come back and go, actually, I'm going to take something out of that. Or sometimes you don't take anything out of it. 
but mm. it's going back to that open debate chat and I, I I want to have more discussions like that with coaches. I want more more like gatherings where it's like that, where I talk it's like throughout there. It's like oh um teaching Taya Tosh. I've I've watched this or have you, have you saw that person, have you saw this? And then it could be it shouldn't be like, oh, you shouldn't put kids on their knees and do one, two, three because that's just uh, well, if you're getting a response for your children doing that and then by the end of six months, your kid's doing a standing tire torsion and, and it's pretty good. How can we say that way is wrong? It's it's about adapting to each child. It's about adapting, and it's about adapting to your coaching ability. I'm heavily pregnant. If I want to still be on the mat, probably asking somebody to go down on their knees is better than actually standing up for a safety point of view and still keep doing my work. So it's like, like you, you think pregnancy head now? Because that's that's my health and safety way that I would need to think. So it's constantly adapting, like all the time, and that's what what I like. And I just think sometimes we can get stuck in ways, stuck in opinions, and they're all healthy and they're all fine. But sometimes be respectful that it's well, it's your experience that's made you have that view and have that opinion that other people don't don't have. That it's like I've had some outstanding experiences as a player, and I've had some terrible experiences. And I, and I hope that I never, people never experience the, my bad experiences. But actually, probably my bad experiences has made me a stronger person and made me a more empathy person and actually made me more, no, I'm, I'm going to look after people better. So it's that pros and cons. But you don't see that. You don't see it until later on. You don't, you don't see the, the benefits of the bad things till later on, I think. I suppose as well, you're going to have to have quite, quite a lot of self-confidence, really, or at least you've got to be fairly happy within yourself as a as a coach and a judo player to have that confidence in in turning around to people and saying, "Yeah, I agree with that," but also, "No, I don't," or you know, even say, "I honestly don't know." You know, because that's quite, people yeah. will feel vulnerable with that. You know, I've had it before with players. They've come up to me and they said, oh, how do you do this? Or what about if this? And I've had to turn around and say, well, actually, I really, I haven't got a clue. And then I've had to go away and have a look. But it's not an easy thing to do, I find. You know, it's really hard in coaching. Um, I find sometimes in coaching, it's it's very rare you'll find a coach who doesn't know the answer, even if they don't. You know, like it's very rare that they'll turn around to you and go, I'm, I really don't know, actually. But actually, that's quite an important part, isn't it? Yeah. No, there is, it is 100. Doing this by studying at Sheffield Halam University, we are, um, this is the way they approach things. They'll bring up their topic and then it's the way all the different coaches in the room. Now, the coaches are from hockey, golf, football, swimming, archery, judo. And basically, and it's all different levels as well, but there's an elite side to them and or they're, they're involved in some sort of elite way. And every single time where they're that you're there, a topic will get up and it's always me that starts this chat off. And each time we go back, I turn around and say, I am not speaking. I want to hear everybody else's views. And then what happens is the silence kills me. I can't handle that silence because I'm there to learn. And I want to learn, so I'll just then start start talking. But I do remember somebody saying something once, and I was a wee bit like going against what I've just said. By the way, <laughs> I actually was like, eh, "No," because 
it's an Olympic cycle, and when you go through an Olympic cycle, you have to. You can't be. You can't be too soft with your players. You can't be too. And then I felt like my neck going red and my face going red, and I was just like, oh no! And then I felt the sweat coming down my back, but I was then obviously getting more animated because, and that's just my character. I get more animated, more passionate. That even my partner, he's like, ah, you are shouting. Can you just calm down? And I'm like, I am not shouting. I am just, this is how I feel. And it's like sometimes my passion can come across quite aggressive. And I literally, I don't I don't mean it, but it's just like, you know, that way someone said something. And it's not as touched a nerve in a bad way, but you're just like, no, a four-year cycle for Olympic Games is needed because, and you're trying to, and you, you just get your shit, and then you look around the room, you take that wee minute to take a breath, and then you look around and it's like everybody's looking at you and everybody's thinking, oh, and then the lecturer has to step in and say, well, you know, everybody's view is slightly different. However, that coach had never, he'd never planned for a four-year cycle before. He'd never been there as a player. He'd never been there as a coach. And he actually like worked with really, really young children. It was just irrelevant. So he was just saying, saying something. But because I felt of all the hard work that goes behind that, I thought what he said was, I did think what he said was wrong. But after I came down for my passionate high horse, I then was like at the break when I went back to that coach and I was like, I was just trying to say to you all the work that goes behind that. And I thought you were being a little bit like um, putting people down. And he was like, no, I wasn't. I've just not experienced it. So it was more... Like not, it was a naive comment, but it was honest. It was an honest comment because that was his experience. But then when I looked to other people in my group, and I'm like, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you say anything? And they were just like, you were, you were too entertainment, Louise. And then other ones were just like, I, I didn't know anything on it, so I, I wouldn't comment on anything that I that I don't know. And I just think it's good to say, like you said, you should just say, I I don't know. I need to go and look at that. And a good coach will get back to that person, ask them it. Or the next time they see them, they would say, "By the way, remember I told you, like you would you would say that." Whereas then you get that day, people just vlog you off and just say, "Oh, I right, will look that up," and then they never do. Like the next time they see you six months later, or whereas that's where I think, "Oh, that person is actually, I like that person. That person I'll go and talk to more in the future." But that's just how I, that's my angle to how I see. I see things, and my my dad has always told me. You don't get anywhere in life if you don't go and ask. And if somebody tells you no, then no, that's your answer. And you just need to accept it. But how can you go away, drive back in your car or or keep yourself awake at night if you don't ask? If you always make assumptions, I think we're terrible as, as people in life. You make assumptions because you hear things about people and you do. And if I had to say, give anybody any advice, most of the stuff that I've heard about people whether that was them as a player or them as a coach at the time that those people worked with them. Anytime I've went up to them, I've always had an engagement or um, actually, can I, can I call you or can I talk to you later? Because they're maybe just busy. But I very rarely just got somebody being rude and just like walking out, like walking away or just not wanting to engage as if to say, oh, you're not in my level, so just like go away. I don't, I've never really had that often. I've, I've experienced it as a player more than I've experienced it as a coach. But I've also know one of my things was that um, when you go away with the international side, they sometimes have a wee coaching meeting or a coaching like gathering. 
and um, Luke asked me to one once, um, but I just was like, oh, no, no, I've got, I've, got, I've got things to do. But it wasn't actually things to do. I just was a bit like, I didn't feel I could put myself in that room with the with there was Netherlands and Germans and French like Olympic coaches there and I just felt like this little fish in the in a big pond and, and I shouldn't go I was just like there for Kimberley but I actually regret that I regret doing that and um, I wish I, I did go along with Luke because then I would have had Luke there for support if I felt that I was um I needed I needed a bit of guidance or something so that's something that I regretted doing, and that was that was just before lockdown. I think we were in Germany, we were at a camp, and um, and Luke said, you know, these things are good for networking movies, and you just get chat, and you step on a mat, and everybody comes up, and shakes Luke's hands, and and says, hey, yeah. Whereas I'm I'm on that mat, and even when you're standing out there, you're on a mat still, where there's only three ladies on a mat with their belts on, and. Then there's like 25, 35 men and then all these players and you just look up and you think that can be quite intimidating. And it is the very, I hate the first session. I hate the first session going on. And even when I go to Camberley, I hate sitting out there with Luke and with yourselves and other people because I hate the first time I have to do it. I, I want to go to the player side and stand. And I've done it a couple of times and looks like Louise. And then it's like you put your head down and you walk out. You're not on that mat to train. You're on that mat to coach. But you just kind of, that's that's for me, that's that's my bad habit just now. But once I've done it the first time, the rest of the week, it becomes quite easy. So I'll be totally honest with you. I still suffer with this now. Like I almost get a point of imposter syndrome. So it happens happens most notably when we go out to somewhere like Cambrils and you stand on the mat and you've got like Go, Darcel, Winnie, Craig obviously was there as well. And then I'm, because obviously I'm still quite young as well. So I'm only 33 still and I'm going out on the coach's side and I know all of them really well because I've, uh, you know, I've trained with them or, you know, uh, coached with them, you know what I mean? So I know quite well, but you still stand on that mat and you still almost feel like, shall I go stand with the players and just sort of hide at the back or something? And it doesn't, I, it's really, really strange. It's something that he, I still, still to this day, that when I step on the mat, it's almost like, and I almost like feel like when I meet coaches again for a second or third time, almost like, why would they remember who you are? Like, you know, so you always have to introduce yourself and they're like, yeah, I know who you are. It's, we have met before. It's really difficult, <laughs> isn't it? It is definitely. Cool, and it's and you feel a wee bit. Um, it does take you. It does take you to this wee like you're you're shying off, and you feel like am I intimidated? And that's where I would like to, like, and then I think you sometimes all the coaches that are there from Britain, and I think what surely they must have been here themselves. Why don't they just without highlighting it? Why don't they just um go? All right, all right, Louise, we're lining up now and then just chat to you. You know, like you're walking your player out to the mat, you're chatting away to them. And it just, it would ease things better, I think. Then I think maybe in the future that that's something that I'll do when I see a new coach coming along, I'll just go up and talk to them and walk over to the lineup and just to try and distract them without highlighting, are you nervous about this? I know you're new to this because that's even more mortifying just being direct like that as well, I think. Because you never want to turn around and really actually admit that, that you're that you're that you're nervous going on but it's always that first session of bowing on I just feel like and I never even got as nervous as I 
as a player for the first fight is what I do in doing that bit of standing out. And you always find, I've always found a couple of times I've done it with Luke, that someone knows him, then they come in between me and Luke, and then the next thing you know, um, I was beside Luke, to then I'm like six six people away from him, and then I'm kind of putting my head around like this to look up to see if he's, um, is Luke still in sight? Just, what's going to happen to me? Is a coach going to attack me in the middle of the night? Absolutely not. But then you see the friendly banter, and then you just like see, and you think, I'm left on my own. And then the players go and warm up and coaches have a wee bit of engagement then. But it is, it's, um, but I think it's just, it's, it's it's the mindset, isn't it? We're just let ourselves, um, we just let our, our head play these silly games on us. But but I think as well, I always put it down, it's because you want to, you want to be your best. You want to do your best and it would be brilliant to produce champions, but it would also just be, I just want to make people better. And I just want to help people through these through these camps because camps are tough. They're tough on the body. If you've had a good um, good competition, you, you get into the camp more confident. If you've had a rubbish competition, you you just have you have a good day and you have a bad day. And as a, just having a coach there each time to help you. But I did find um, once when I was on a camp as a coach and there was this Belgium girl was like every time my sister was like getting up, she was just. She was being aggressive, right? Which was absolutely fine. But you know, my sister wasn't reacting back to her. And I just remember the next thing I'm at the side of the mat. And then the next thing I'm like halfway in the middle of the mat. And I'm like basically walking around my sister saying, boot her back, drag her down. And then like I got back and that was on the, I think it was in the last day of the camp. And then I was going back a bit and I just remember Ashley sent me, did you want a fight there, Louise, yourself? And actually, inside me, I was getting quite pumped up and quite like, um, I'm going to knock her out if she's, you don't knock her out properly. So, so I don't, so Louise, I don't remember in the coaching manual anywhere it said boot her back, club her around the head. No, they don't. You're on the camp and you're tired and you can't grip anymore and a forearm gets in there and your legs are that jelly and the foot sweep don't become a foot sweep, they become like they become football legs. So it's kinda just it's the and you've got to teach that, you've got to teach it for these camps because unfortunately it's it's not the, the nice side, but it's the toughness that, that comes with the sport as well. And um but no I don't really go about screaming that, but you know, I just got caught up in the moment. Like I said, I'm a passionate person and sometimes the things that come out my mouth and all of that is just through passion and not not through um, wanting to be a bad person or make people bad. It's just passion is my only word I can describe it. Yeah. So <laughs> any, any judoka or coaches listening, you'll have to sort of decide whether you want to take that information and use it or or maybe leave it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So I want to go back to um, because you did or you, you're still currently on the final stages of your Masters, aren't you, at Sheffield Hallam? Yes, I'm on the last year um, doing the research topic that you pick um, to go out there and research for nine months. And then you hand it in on July the 29th, and then you get told if you've passed or failed. And if you do a really good um, topic, you can actually get it uh, published. And mm. for... As we've said, you're an experienced player and you've decided to go down this coaching route. What made you decide to go? Because you already had a degree, didn't you, before this? Yes. Uh-huh. You know, 
what made you decide you would continue into an academic uh, part of judo as well? It was after doing my UKC level three and speaking with Joyce and Colin, you know, you people like to kind of drum into you. If you want to be a national coach, um, you, you want to have that UK four, UK five on your, or the masters, you want to have all that on there. But actually in hindsight, when you speak to a lot of coaches that are at national level, um, they're lucky if they even get a, a level one coaching. They've just got titles because of their players. Um, and then that's kind of, lucky if they've read a journal in their life actually but um I decided to well you know it's for my future and and I did want to keep developing I felt I was at a wee bit of I needed a, a pick-me-up I needed a bit of a actually you're out doing a lot of um coaching but you've let you've let your academic side slip a little bit so I thought it was a good time to pick back up on getting back into looking into stuff again but just a little bit so I went to the university, it's part-time for three years, and last year you pick a research topic. So I mm. I, I was a 57 kilo cadet junior player. Being at university, we'd go up to 59 kilos, and then at the summertime, you, you would finish in May. May to September, I would drop to 54 kilos when I was in the, the full-time setup. So the coach at the time had said to me, you're a 52 kilo player, my dad was like, nah, you're a 57 kilo player. Just get strong. Don't worry about having to cut weight. And I went to Canada and America and the coach had entered me in 52s and basically got a sweatsuit and told me to go out and run with the older players. In Las Vegas it was, brilliant place to go to. In a sweatsuit, you go out at 53.8 kilos and you come back at 51.8 and you think, oh my God, lost two kilos and... Um, this making weight dead easy and fought in your first international at the, like the senior level at 52's got a fifth place I felt as strong as an op so it was just like my head was just getting bigger and bigger with confidence and then I decided I would go to 52's and my dad did not support it at all because naturally even though I was in between two weights I was still I was a, a lean body fat and long term trying to make 52s it wasn't I was coming down from 60 kilos of things like that at the time it was 52.8 getting off that last point eight for me basically I would have to do like a marathon of a work to do it and sometimes only 0.1.2 would come off and it just was like it wasn't natural for me to walk around at 52 kilos but even though I was an adult when this decision I made this decision um, it was still around, it was how the coach did it and it was also um, how it made me feel, how strong I felt, but it was later on the impact that it had on, um, I lost out in a world championships because I failed the weight, I failed the weight at, a, at an event with Scotland, I got a six month ban, I got a fine and all this stuff made me feel really unprofessional and this is all the stuff that you're working towards. How can you be unprofessional? There is people that make weight bad and there's people that your body is then telling you this is not the weight for you. And because throughout the year I had easy times making it and I had hard times making it, it was just, I had mixed, mixed emotions about it. But the bottom line was to want to be a 52 kilo player for 10 years, 
Um, one could have an impact on me having children, which I'm very lucky that never happened. Two, um, just what's the long-term effect that it's going to do to you and is it worth that? Do you know all, the, all that? And the third thing is, I was really happy at 57s and although Jenny Bryan was the number one to me, she was a good bit older than me. She was the person I was going to be learning from to then become the next like 57 kilo player. But I didn't, I, I let, I let like feeling, I, I let like being a 57 strength to the first competitions that you do at 52s, I let that kind of um, like just let me, the, the goodness that I felt for that, I let that make me decide to be a 52 kilo player. So I was wanting to do things around when should you encourage somebody to lose weight, what age group, and our coaches really aware of what a woman's body does like go through with, with mostly puberty. And that was something I felt passionate about. But because of the COVID situation, it kind of, the way I saw myself working on that project meant I wanted to be more hands-on and more meeting people. I didn't want to be doing like phone calls I've just felt it was a personal thing that I wanted to do and, and be in personal contact. So I asked British Judo if they could put out um, a wee thing on Facebook over a year ago about if a coach was to do a research topic, what would you be interested in reading? And the next thing I know, I'm getting like over 100 emails from my personal account and some really, really worthwhile things that I would definitely had uh, it got my attention. And then some other things, it was just like, um, right, okay, that's just old age. Your body, that's what happens to you when you age. So judo isn't helping that. Something that was interesting, though, somebody had said that to look into a study that was where some of the clubs are using, like the international clubs are using cat as, cat as their weekly like routine. And um, is that more like beneficial on the body for movement patterns? Um, and I did quite because I've always I've always found me was a cat quite hard to do myself personally, but I was actually interested in how um, the Japanese used it, how the French used it, and um, I know that um, Russia have started using it a little bit more as well with some of the elite players where they're having the, the French coach working with them as well. So it was something that I thought because mm, I've always thought of it as a coach. I thought I would use it as a part of recovery when you come back from an injury, bringing people back on, do kata, a wee block of kata during the rehab sessions. So it was something, there was a couple of things that all came out, it was good. But then this COVID happened and I went on to a coach's cafe thing within Scotland. And we were just on and just talking away, open chat. Um, somebody could bring up a topic and we would just talk about it. And the next thing, people's moods were just low and down and it was within the first kind of 12 weeks and then I just turned around to people and I was like that mental health is a massive issue here isn't it and some people said yes some people chose not to comment and then some people um, messaged me after it with some personal information about themselves and then I just decided that okay I'm going to look into what is the 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 impact that COVID-19 has had on Scottish judo coaches um, at this moment in time. So I started to do some research into things, put my proposal in, and I got a 92% grade back. And by getting that 92% grade back meant that um, it was telling me that 
I could go to get my, my article published if I do it really, really well. So I've been following the university protocol that I need to follow. I've been doing group inter interviews, um, using psychology questionnaires, using mental health um, questionnaires. I've been attending workshops, uh, like different courses. There's a thing called SAMH in Scotland that we use, and it helps you how to talk to people. I actually joined a mentoring course that um, British Judo started up with um, Sammy Wilson, no, Sammy Smithson, um, Ian, somebody, and another guy. But it's basically, I'm terrible with names, so I apologise if you're listening to this. Um, but they've, they've been getting people in and helping us how to mentor people. So that helps me with my interview um, skills. And then I've spoke to all the coaches individually about getting into a wee bit more depth. And what has been really, really good about it is that, okay, across the board, some of them work in judo for a business, but some of them work in it recreationally, some of them work in it as an official, some of them work in coaching, some have been up at high level, some have fell away from it. But take money away from this, apart from the financial side that has caused stress and some of the, the coaches and the, the change things around and and what they have done is that it was going back to the start when I was saying that sometimes people say, oh, I'm just lucky to be in a coaching a coaching job. And I sometimes feel that people downgrade coaches. Like they don't rate them that they're a doctor or they're a lawyer. And it really does annoy me because during this time, some of the evidence is coming in. It's saying it's like how much that they, they personally feel passionate and rewarding about just helping people, just helping a kid come in and tie a bell just getting them getting a new grade or teaching them a skill or watching them laugh with somebody. The background that you learn about an individual person, whether it's a, a, a really nice background or whether it's a really bad background, missing all of that social engagement, what that is having on, on coaches who aren't getting that every single day and going away for the weekend. And although it's been brilliant for people to spend more time with a family, there's only so much time you can spend in a house or out in a back garden before you actually want to throttle your own kids. This was some of the, the word terminology from um, other, the other coaches. So it is, um, a bit, what I was saying to the coaches is, do you realise what you've been doing? And they, they were saying, what were we thinking? And I was like, no, you're not just thinking, you're evaluating, you're, you're evaluating what you, your, your coaching styles, your, your coaching life, your what it is that you do every single day and it's and it's driving back that passion but it's giving you that little up and down where they're feeling really really high one minute because they're missing it and then they're feeling really really low because they just don't have that engagement but what it is telling them as well is that it isn't all about competition 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 even though some of the coaches a majority of their life is away every weekend at competition at squad things it's just it's a the judo itself and sport itself. It's just a massive impact of their health and well-being as people. And then what was coming out of it was things like, well, what's got you through this? And yep, of course, telephoning other coaches, having the coaches cafe, um, looking what's out there on like British website, things that you're doing yourself, things that other clubs are doing. And then it's just like, and what the scary thing was as well is that there's other people out there who actually are in the same situation but are absolutely useless with technology and they're all on their own. 
because they, they can't get onto the internet or they can't engage or they can't put themselves out there, but they're sitting there lonely, feeling feeling this um, this way. So we were then like, well, what, what are governing bodies doing? What help is out there? So I started going down the analysis, say what, um, what, what has other partnership things been doing for the coaches? And the sad thing is, is that there's some out of the evidence just now, which is still collecting just now, so I can't speak like too much in depth about it. But it is that, um, you know, outside their national governing body, they were getting help from other partnerships, like maybe their local councils or Sports Scotland, but maybe the impact that their national governing body could have been giving them was very, very um, low. And it could have been better customer service wise. But what you've also got to remember during this time is that there was a furlough scheme. And when this government furloughed you at the start, you weren't working, you weren't doing anything. As times went on, there's been part-time furlough where you you're, you can work, you can support your your nation. And then um, now things are returning back to normal and things are looking a little, a little bit different now. But it's still, that has a mental um, impact on coaches on how does your national governing body value you? Because you're bringing in all these memberships. And yes, people will go back to money for the people that are doing it as a business. But not every club out there is doing it as a business. There's still the community work. There's still the, the give back clubs that are out there. But even these people who are doing it as a business, what they have recognised, what they are, what judo does for them as people, is I think going forward is that you need to have something there for the, the mental well-being of coaches and their health. And it needs to be really looked at and, and analysed in a programme put together that for people that fall into different categories, because you can just have a low day. We all get low days and that's fine. You get picked up, but then there's the low days that you're feeling low every single day and you can't get out of that cycle. And who's there to help you? And... I think that your national governing body has a duty of care. They have, a duty, they have all this duty of care and child protection for under 16s and, and this and that, but where's where's the duty of care for adults? Where's the duty of care for your coaches who are working day in, day out to provide you with memberships, to provide your grading, to provide for your events that you run? All of that is bringing in money, but you can't even just, just take a little bit of time to actually work out where is the customer service or to listen to your coaches that has an impact on people personally and even though we'll go back to the conversation that we've already had where people might not want to say or people I think we're really good at twisting things around and saying oh you're just moaning you're the only person that feels that way well you have a duty to listen you have a duty to build evidence and then make a, a decision don't just assume and, and just don't throw back negativity to the to the coaches because it is the coaches that are helping build up our our sport and we need them we need them to continuously grow and I think the national governing body has a duty of care to to make them grow and make them make them better people and to understand but give them tools give them tools that have been shown through research and shown to work and that have been been not really sure the right way to work that it's kind of new to me just now and I'm working on the conclusion just now um bringing it all together 
but I just it always comes under customer customer care customer service for me is I think we really need to have a look at how we deal with that and when you're in the your national governing body you are going to take a little bit of stick you are going to take a little bit of negativity and also the coaches um, shouldn't be going out there and, and, and speaking to people nasty or, or being like not being polite when you're asking questions you've got to take a look at that you could be like me and you think you're saying something nice but your passion just <laughs> comes out a wee bit too aggressive sometimes yeah I I suppose as well like they definitely the governing bodies would argue the fact that there's no way they could have been prepared for this this is so new it's just something that none of us could have really known what was happening or anything like that but I think you make a few good points as well like I remember my overriding feeling at the beginning is I almost felt abandoned that that's the only way I can really describe it and you you use the word as customer and for me I would fit that a little bit and I would say we are members and the, the the difference I'd say in that is for our club everybody who's a part of our club is a member and what that means is they don't just turn up for judo they turn up for the interaction the care that we're going to give them the the benefits that we're going to provide because it's not just the sport side of it it's the mental side of it as well and it, it, we are members of British judo or Scottish judo or and I think the fact is that at the beginning, none of us knew what was happening, but it almost felt like nobody was trying to work out what to do. Like, and so we took it, I know we took it straight away and we just started, we didn't want our members to feel like they were abandoned because they had no school, they had nothing going on. And actually they knew they could get judo with us online for three, four times a week, every single week, same time. They knew exactly the program. And I think for them, that was great. But for, from a personal point of view, I was struggling with the purpose, the stimulation, the feeling like there was support, you know, and I had a couple of conversations with, with a few people and I had the people, what are they meant to do? What are they meant to do? Well, that's sort of the thing they should be trying to work out what they can do, you know, and it wasn't just that. And judo every single day was losing ground to other martial arts because they were all running online. You know, and every day that judo wasn't operating, we were losing members. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, we're, at, we're hopefully, fingers crossed, we're through it. But there's going to have to be a lot of work done to sort of repair those bridges as well, aren't there? Yep. And I think the, the first way to start is that some people are seeing a survey and, and like, surveys are good. They're, they're okay. I think they're okay. But it's like you can now go on to Zoom and do these these big conversations. But the thing is, as well, within British, within our national governing body, British Judo and Judo Scotland and all the other the other ones that come in the in our Scotland, England, Ireland, Wales, is that these are always promoting mental health and wellbeing and, and workshops on, on how to make things better and the coach education staff, the development staff, the national coaches, the office staff, they're, they're all on courses every single year. The, the people are getting titles behind their names left, right and centre. So they're all on these development, um, all these development workshops that, that is, and don't get me wrong, a lot of them is funded by either UK Sport or the, the Sport Scotland because um, they do believe that these workshops are needed to make coaches or make staff better. But the thing is, what are you really taking from it 
and how like proactive are you being with the information that you're learning and taking that back across no one could have predicted what we've gone through no one at all but actually the resources and the courses that's been provided for years how could they not have put a package together in their time off and that and it goes back to that for me that even when you were getting furloughed people were still getting paid money so was there some people sitting there getting paid money and just taking the money and doing nothing having family time which is well, all I suppose like, the, and I'm not the, saying you could have put it out there I'm not saying that these people because if you were doing that then the government can take away the money from you so there is another whole side here um, that they had to be careful with but some people are coaches in clubs who are also working in national governing bodies so they're kind of like in a setup that they've also they work and they they have they run clubs from as well and it's very rare that you get a lot of people in a one place that do that. Does that make sense compared to other sports? So I've got a lot of friends that are development officers in rugby and hockey and swimming, and they'll be lucky if they have one or two coaches that are in that office that also have a personal club or a personal business. Whereas actually in Judo Scotland, we have quite a few people that are in the office that are also our people that we turn to for support, but they also run their own club so is there, is there conflicts of interest there just an open question uh yeah i don't know whether it happens in other sports i guess i just want to go back to the the sort of furlough side of it i mean yeah i i don't know how it worked with governing bodies but i know if you were on furlough you weren't allowed to work so and that's most probably why I raised the point of feeling abandoned because it was almost like I felt like that because everybody was on furlough, they were okay. They didn't mind because they knew they had that security. Yeah. Um, but it was almost like, why is everybody on furlough and why they're not some people still in the building helping out? And then, but you don't know the situation financially, do you? You don't know whether they, they had to do that or not. So it, it's such a difficult one to answer but where would is that the right thing moving forward what can we learn from it going forwards you know how how is it best to to help coaches moving forwards I guess um but yeah I don't I don't know whether they could have done anything different but it's not going to help how people there's definitely things since then that they I think they could have done better mm-hmm but at the beginning, was there anything? I don't know. I really don't know. But what do you think the long-term impact of your research is going to help with? Or what do you hope? I hope that it brings out, like, like customer service. How, how much is your customer, how much are you actually looking at, at your members? Are you really looking after them? Should you be doing a little bit more um, check-ins in some sort of way, like in small groups or um, surveys that you send out more to say checking in where your where your coaches, where your parents, where your um where your, your members because obviously some of the kids can't be um can't can't um fill in questionnaires because they, they need to be adults and you need but I think it's important that you get into three kind of categories where you have a coaching category, you have a or even four you have a staff category, coaching category a parents category 
where you're getting information that you send out surveys or you say once a year um, on April the 4th, we are having a big Zoom call or we're having a big meeting in this place and we're, we're going to talk about 10 different um, 10 questions and it's just an open chat about we're trying to improve, how can we improve? Or when you have people at competitions, I've seen me go to competitions and there be, be an awful lot of staff there but the staff aren't going around wandering, talking to the people in the stands and saying to them, well, what club? I'm I'm the CEO of British Judo and I'm the CEO of Judo Scotland. Um, and and who, how are you here today? What club are you from? You're a parent, you're this. Oh, what do you think? Just ask. These are the, it's communications, it's engaging. That's what you gather information, you gather evidence, and then you go back and you say, actually, this is what I found out here. And then you have a, like a researcher that says, right, okay, that comes under psychology. This is what psychology is saying. This is what you could implement to try. We're never always going to get fully get it right. You're going to do something and people are going to always have a negative opinion on it. And, I, and there's a few ideas that I think we could do moving forward. But I think first and foremost is that we need to treat people better. How we speak to people, how, we, how our listening skills are to people, and you need we need to stop like making people feel that they're moaning and they, they probably are maybe just moaning but you need to you're getting paid a job you've got a title behind your name under the national governing body you need to represent them better and you need to listen and again for coaches or for parents or for members who are acting inappropriately and speaking inappropriately too to our other members of staff they need to have rules and protocols as well to follow so it, it works both ways so I think the first thing is a, is customer service, and I think second thing is 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 going forward. Like you said that word a couple of times, is that yet going forward, um, we need to change our mindset, and we need to start listening more to the people that are out there in the judo world who are dealing with different scenarios day in day out. Because I think you forget sometimes when you get into a job, and then you just become a little bit like you plateau, don't you? You just become comfortable. You just kind of sit there and then you sometimes need that wee kick up the backside. And I think this COVID is given that. It's given an opportunity to give them that kick up the backside where we can make things better going forward because I'm not hearing coaches say, some coaches are absolutely petrified that they, their, their club might not open back up. That is on the agenda there. But some people are also like, they're going in with the mindset, I'm starting from scratch. I'm going to start for advertising getting back into the schools, work with the people that I've got, but I just need to start from scratch. They're not saying, do you know what? I'm throwing in the keys. I'm hanging it up. Most of them are all like, no, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, I'm going to build it back up again. So that's good to hear. And people want to work with the governing body, but I think all rounds, we need to, we need to become better. And listening is the first thing that they can start doing. Properly listen. Don't just say, oh, yep, yep, I'm doing that. You listen and you always show the evidence that's been gathered in. 60% of people have turned around and said that they're not happy with the grading system. 40% of people have said that they are happy with it. 20% of people have turned around and says that they feel the competitions are overrunning all the time. 80% of people said that they're fine. So when you've got percentages as well, how can coaches really argue with it? Well, only 20% feel that way. The other 80% are all happy. So... We're not dismissing the 20%, but why would we make a change when it's such a, such a big 
percentage. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And that, yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. kind of... Because I think you always have to show your evidence of what you did. And unfortunately, the only way you can show evidence is by doing surveys, by speaking to people. And you've got to make sure that people that are doing this are actually properly qualified and that people are, are, are doing it right and not lying because you're putting a lot of trust into believing that the evidence that you're getting told is is correct and fair. I mean, look at it just now. People are accusing um, in America, they're saying that the things were getting cheated for the votes and all that. Do, do you know what I mean? And they want to they want to redo it again. Um, and it's just things like, unfortunately, these things do go on um, in the world, but just make sure that you're true to, to yourself, to your governing body, and to the people that are, that are investing in the sport. Mm. I suppose playing devil advocates though like it's only as good as so we were talking earlier and you know how it's difficult sometimes to get coaches to ask questions or feel confident and give them their answers you know the data collect if they if there's only a set group of questions that are asked and those questions aren't necessarily relevant and you don't get the coaches feeling comfortable replying like then you would argue well what is the point in wasting all that time in in yeah. surveys for example you know that, that has to come culturally and people feeling comfortable in conversation I don't know I don't know whether what the answer is, whether it is surveys or whether it is getting out on the ground and, you know, doing what these regional development officers do and try and get into the clubs and actually gather some data and have conversations. And, mm -hmm. you know, are there any trends? Are there things that, that seem to be repeated more? Because it's not all bad. There's going to be lots of good things to come from this if, if we manage to keep it moving forwards. So, yeah, I don't, it's so difficult. It, I can't imagine trying to balance all of that, but I don't have the budget to. I don't need, you know what I mean? Like I, it doesn't come down to me. So, yeah, no, I wonder, I, I wonder what will come through this. What, you know, what but we have, you... we have the connection. So, like, we, 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 Sheffield University, for example, let's say I would, you would go to them to say to them, what is the right question that I need to use? What are the right questions? So it's not wasting time. It's specific. It's to the point. And they've got the they've got the specialised people. You go to them. They help you guide it. These are the questions that you want to put into the survey, and then you put it you put it out because we do have the connections. And even doing that mentoring training that I'm doing with British Judo just now, the people that they've got in with some of the the the, the, the specialists that they've got to talk to is it's it's been it has been like open-end questions is kind of what we are doing here today where we're just there's a question and then it's just we're just going with it and you're letting me talk away whereas it's not like question one boom 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 two three four five it's it's open-end question is the best because that's where somebody becomes comfortable and then they start to they start to open up but you might have needed it at the start I could have been quite shy and bashful and you might have needed to do question one two three four until I got to a comfortable stage um but it is I do think we have the resources I think it's about pulling them all together and using them appropriately and actually looking at people's backgrounds of right you're a coach what have you got in your background what are you into what do you like like some people just get given development officers posts and they've never they've never done they've never done a full day's work in their life 
and it's 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 making sure the right people are in the right jobs as well or if you're not then you go and learn your job like we've got to learn coaching you've got to learn it you've got to look at the policies you've got to look at the documents and 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 it's it's what gets the best out of, of everybody is what i believe anyway <laughs> it's hard work it's hard work your brain never switches off yeah and yeah. i think ultimately i what i get from you and what i get from most coaches is like it is just that passion and it's the caring about judo and i think a lot of the times when people talk about coaching or you know when you go red in the neck and you start getting irate and shouting at people <laughs> it's for it's from a good place and that is the biggest frustration i'm guilty of it and sam sam will always say to me if i'm shouting at somebody when i shouldn't you know what i mean but it comes from yeah. a good place it comes from a positive place a place of knowing how good judo is and how important judo is to people and and it's just wanting the best for it and hoping that it, it will make a difference and when it's not done to the best of what you believe can be done speaking up and being you know and and telling people about that but it doesn't always go down right no it doesn't it doesn't and sometimes that's what you that you need that wee 24 hours where you you go away and then it is. And sometimes I've, I've once or twice myself picked up the, the phone the next day and said, look, I've had a wee think about that and woke up this morning and it's actually not sitting too well with me. I just want to reassure you where I was coming from. And then and then sometimes the majority of the time people are just like, well, we know you, Louise, and and that's that, that's okay. And then once or twice it has been, um, I kind of have took it quite negative and I've had to then be like, I've had to backtrack but I'm backtracking through my honesty I'm backtracking and saying I honestly meant it this way and I apologize that you've taken it that way however this is what I meant and I've even had to do that with people that I just don't like but because of how I feel as a person I've went back there and, and, and said it but again I bring that all personally down to my upbringing from my parents um it's like my dad says if you don't ask you don't get but also take ownership and um, when you're wrong as well. And it is, and especially if you're in a room with people that make you feel uncomfortable and you have to take ownership at that time, it's, it is very uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, I walk out that door and my drive home, I morally can hold my head up high because um, I have genuinely went with what my own personal beliefs, what I respect, and I'd still respect those people in that room if I feel that I was... I was maybe acting wrong. I would never ever want to cause confrontation and I would never ever want to um, make bad situations. But at the same time, you've got to stand up for, for what you believe. It's like when all the rules change in coaching, I've had this conversation with Luke several times because I've only ever seen him maybe half a dozen times um, kind of really go at the referees or like walk around the other side at the big events and you're like that. Oh my God, looks angry. But um, I've also I've had conversations with Saint Luke. Do you not think that's disrespectful and and this or that? And like Luke has explained to me his personal view on it, why he's done some stuff and given examples. And then once he's done that, I'm like, all right. But I'm still with him. Like when they brung out that when you do a, a drop and then you can push the person over and then you were getting those aries for it. My sister had to qualify for European Championships and the last two kind of European Opens that she was at, 
she had a girl had done that and I felt it was an Ozari. And I remember like putting my arm out for the Ozari and I stood up on the the, 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 the chair bit and I just like they didn't look it back in the video and they didn't do anything. And then I just look at the other coach and the other coaches just like still shouting at their, their player and I kind of felt undermined and I was a little bit like what what else could I have done? I was trying to respect the rules. We were told you can stand up, put your hand up, you can ask for a video. I actually just got like dismissed completely. Then the girl got up and the girl done the same thing. Um, and my sister just like bulldozed her over and got an Ozari for it. Kimberly comes off and she says to me, Louise, I just done the exact same thing. What, what is that? How is that? And I, my answer to it was, Kimberly, I do not know. And it's one of these new rule changes that, I really wasn't confident enough because I hadn't done enough competitions with the new rule changes. But how does that build confidence in your athlete when you say, I really don't know how you didn't get that when I thought it was, but I stood up, followed the rules. And I thought it was one of the moments should I have like tried to have stormed around the other side. But you also get like, you get security now that you can get took away and asked to get into the stands. So, and you really, you don't, your cameras are on you as well. So, You've got a bit of, I really don't want people seeing that. But then when you actually see other coaches do it, but that's other, the other coaches that are doing it are just, they've just been around so much longer and they're high volume and that level of competitions and being around the new rule changes is just so much more than me. So I'm just like, all right, you put yourself down again, you go back to that putting yourself and doubting yourself as a coach. And then, but that's when I'll just, I'll just go to other coaches and just say, look, how did you, how did you get away with that? And looks like I didn't get away with it. I got a bollocking as well off the people that are higher up and they told me you can't go acting like that. He says, but I didn't want my player feeling that I thought that was acceptable. So it's, mm. it's, you learn from it. So next time I stood up and I was doing, but I then went into like um, 100 mile an hour. I was doing the video sign like a hundred times as fast as I could, like try to demand that I wanted the video, but they did play the video the next time it happened. And um, actually Kimberly got the, the score. Like it was a couple of competitions later down. So it is, um, I improved there and I felt better doing it. Although when you were walking away, you wanted to turn around to see if you thought she's one of the mad coaches, just like <laughs> repeating, 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 repeating. Well, I think there was a good chance they thought you were one of the mad coaches. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think as judo players, you're taught to fight hard and fight for what, you know, if, if something's in front of you, you've got to fight for that. And I think it does transcend into coaching. I think you, you've all those skills that you learn as a, as a judoka, I think you do carry those forwards and they're not to be dismissed and you know examples that you've talked about there that's just you know that's building understanding about it's a different skill set isn't it it's a different mm-hmm. it's a different game coaching to the actual on the mat the stuff that you've got to do there and it just takes time to learn those things and sometimes you're right you will make the mistake and you have to find out where where that is whether you need to learn the rules a bit better whether you need to understand what what you're willing to get told off for you know, and that's part of it as well, isn't it? It is. It, it definitely is. It's, it's boundaries, isn't it? Mm. Being a being a new um, being a mum to a nearly two year old, and the the boundaries that he's trying to push just now, and and it's also that is um, got to be patient. Where it's like he doesn't fully understand, 
um, it's up to us as parents to to teach that as well. And I, and I even find like that's helping me as well. That we're coach where I'm thinking, oh, that I could do that with this player for what I'm learning from parenthood as well. So it is all transferring over, and it is all it is it is good. But you do, I do think to myself, I'm a why am I being a parent and thinking of coaching and putting that into the same same equation? You're like switch off, Louise, just switch off. <laughs> yeah, well, Louise, I want to say thank you for today. It's been really good. And I don't want to keep you on it too long in the risk of you having a baby on the podcast. And all that. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, I, yeah, I want to wish you good luck with, uh, with the birth of your new baby. And uh, thanks for coming on, mate. No, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it and I hope uh, people enjoy this. Wow, so I think these these podcasts are going on, aren't they? <laughs> well done if you're getting through these. Um, so yeah, no, I do really enjoy talking to judo people. Um, and one of the things that I find is the judo people are just so passionate about judo and they do really, really care. And, you know, we were talking about things in the podcast like, you know, creating surveys and stuff like that on what people need. And, you know, I'm interested in what what do you think you need? Um, if you're a judo player, if you're a judo coach, parent, what do you need coming back into judo now? What, what will help you? What do you know? Do you not know? Do you need to be guided through the process of what could help you? Um, I guess it's just about getting good information, isn't it? And that's that's the key. And you know, with my limited resources, you know, what can I help with? What what can you guys gain um, moving forwards? And I think uh, it's a massive part of what Louise is talking about. She, you know, she's talking from a point of how can we better help people who want to be involved in judo, um, and. I think that's at all levels um and it's difficult like i've said it many times like i don't want this podcast to turn into any sort of bashing of any governing body or anything like that it's not the aim of this and you know i'm more than happy to speak to people on the other side and you know let them talk about what they feel um and put their point across as well so yeah it's not that's definitely not the intention of this but definitely to raise awareness about what's going on at certain levels i think it's really important um but yeah also i was thinking i was thinking actually this week there's a tournament um in russia kazan and there's as far as i'm aware there's no british um there's no british contingency out there and so there doesn't seem to be any social media posts about the tournament so i was wondering as judo people do you think your governing body whether you're you know whether you're involved or not whether they should be posting more about judo on the global scale or should they be going more regional should they be going more local how can how can they create posts that are relevant to you um and i i'd be interested to find out what you think about that um because i'm sure you do have an opinion and how how is social media best served by the judo community whether it is a governing body or you know is there things that you wish i would post more of i mean i would at the moment i would love to do more youtube videos and more facebook clips and more online courses but obviously we've i've not been able to actually do judo with a real person since march last year i mean sam my wife she she's been <laughs> she has jumped on the mat a couple of times but it's not the same you know um so yeah what what would you like to see more of and 
I really want to hear back from you. So whether it is you send me an email, vince at vinceskillcorn.co.uk, or whether you send an Instagram message, Facebook, whatever's easiest to you. Um, I, I'd like to know what you think. What, how, how can we get? What do you need for judo to get back up and running? Whether you're a coach, a player, a parent, and you know what. What would you like to know more about in judo? How could we improve the quality of information that's going out to you guys? Um, because I think it's really difficult. I know sitting here as somebody who creates content online, sometimes I think, well, what do people want to know about? What would be interesting to you? I know what's interesting to me, and that's what I talk about. Um, but yeah, what what could you do with knowing more about? Um, so yeah, no, thanks Thanks again to Louise. Um, as I said, I've got a couple of projects that I'm working on in the background at the moment, but um, nothing really to report on the progress yet. Um, but yeah, I hope you're still finding these podcasts enjoyable. You know, please reach out. And I look forward to speaking to you guys all really soon. Judo talk, talk, judo talk, talk, judo talk.